trust in money remains the bedrock of stability. The soul of money is trust. I, I think we are not paying sufficient attention to the law of unintended consequences. In the immortal words of the doors, the time to hesitate is through. Excellent. Thanks for the invite, DE. Glad to be here. No, you're very welcome, man. I appreciate you spending your scarce time and finite energy on the Discovering Bitcoin podcast. It's, um, it's always a pleasure to connect with Bitcoiners from around the world. And, uh, you know, it was awesome to, to connect with you. So thanks. Thanks very much for uh, hanging out. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited about this one. How did you discover Bitcoin? Yeah, great question relevant to the podcast. <laughs> um, so I discovered Bitcoin back in 2017. I remember scrolling through Reddit sometime during 2017. And, and back then I was in college and undergrad school. And I was scrolling through Reddit and I guess I came across either Bitcoin or like cryptocurrency subreddit. And that encouraged me to like go, you know, look at, the price of these things because 2017 was a raging bull market for for bitcoin and crypto broadly and at the time i was in college i've always been interested in, in investing since a very young age and you know i guess i had been taught more of like the value investing style of investing where it's like the benjamin graham model of you know buying companies that appear undervalued they earn a steady dividend or solid cash flow they're fa fairly safe and you know something like coca-cola where you buy it it goes up maybe like one percent a year and you earn like a two percent or three percent dividend and i remember coming across bitcoin and, and like crypto in reddit and i remember looking at the price and seeing these assets going from you know bitcoin went from in 2016 like 200 dollars per bitcoin to Throughout 2017, it went to a thousand dollars, then went to three thousand, then the six thousand, then eventually like eighteen, almost twenty thousand. Mm -hmm. And I just remember looking at the price and being like, "What is this thing? This is the most bizarre financial asset or Ponzi scheme that I've ever seen in my entire life." <laughs> and so, of course, just seeing that, real, I, I kind of was like, "Okay, there's got to be something here." So I kind of like dipped my toe into the space, put like a few hundred bucks and crypto broadly and, and like some like some did really well some didn't and then i spent you know bitcoin went from like six thousand to almost twenty thousand and then throughout like the 2018 bear market i like really started to dive in further as to what bitcoin is and i remember being on twitter at the time and asking people like pierre richard i was like hey like bitcoin's like really cool and it's obviously the largest crypto but you know, this other one's a lot faster. This other one has more privacy. Like, aren't you missing that? And then he kind of really explained to me, like, no, actually, like, the core innovation here is Bitcoin. A lot of these things are more copycats that 
can easily be changed. The core consensus rules are, you know, not very immutable at all. Whereas we have this thing called Bitcoin where it's very interesting because there's only going to be 21 million of it. Anyone can run their own full node and set their own consensus rules. And, and, and it makes it very difficult to change the idea that there can only be 21 million Bitcoin. And then once I realized that, like, okay, Bitcoin's the one that's not only scarce, but it's the one that is the least resistant to, to change or is extremely resistant to change. And I realized, okay, it's not crypto that's special or the, the next new thing here. It's Bitcoin. That's really cool, man. I mean, the humility, I guess, to actually realize that fairly fairly swiftly by the sounds of it, um, particularly if you had been exposed to the concept of investing and in particular value investing. I mean, I personally wasn't exposed to that until I was, gosh, a lot older, shall we say. And um, <laughs> and that was, that was from my own um, desire to figure out what the heck I needed to do with my money, right? And that's kind of how I sort of landed with Bitcoin. But I kind of had to do that on my own. And so I didn't have any prerequisites. I didn't have any, um, I guess what I'm saying is I had a beginner's mind um, late in the piece as opposed to, and I, I'm speculating here, but I, I can imagine having been taught the concept of investing in particular value investing for such a young age, there would be quite a lot of uh, concepts um, and tropes and traditions maybe um, that are embedded within that framework that a lot of other people tend to find hard to break. Yes, I definitely agree there where it's like, I think, I mean, there are multiple hurdles that I had to overcome to like understand why Bitcoin is important and why like I should actually hold some Bitcoin. And like one of the key ones was, oh, okay, well, this is obviously some sort of like random bubble or Ponzi scheme or something like Beanie Babies where it's like people are just buying it because it's the next new thing. It's not actually something that you should hold. And, and you know, value investing is thought you should focus on actually obtaining future cash flows and having equity in a, in an organization that generates future cash flows. Whereas when you look at Bitcoin, you see it and you're like, okay, this is cool. I own this token out of 21 million, but it actually, you know, there's no future cash flows that I'm ever going to get from holding Bitcoin. Right. And it took me a while to overcome that uh, concept until I realized actually Bitcoin is just simply the best money. It doesn't actually need future cash flows. Uh-huh. Okay. That's cool. Cause I've got a couple of um, friends that, that this won't touch it because of, of that concept of, that doesn't produce a, a dividend. It has no cash flow. There's no, um, I guess, extra bells and whistles or something um, with respect to the asset. Um, and I guess maybe they're missing the fact that this is a money and not like an equity. Um, yeah, and that's, yeah, exactly. I guess to, to add on to that, I mean, it, Preston Pish has talked about this a fair amount in the past where it's like you can look at you know the dividends that you're going to receive from holding an equity or you can look at the future cash flows as a company is going to spin off but it's like what are those future cash flows right like if if you're looking at companies in the Weimar Republic yeah their their profit 
denominated in German marks year over year is going to look like it's growing exponentially. But does that really mean that's a good investment? Obviously not. And that's obviously the extreme level of compared to something like the US dollar. But I think it's very relevant to where you can look at maybe the cash flows or the dividends that are getting spun off from holding something like Coca-Cola or, or IBM stock. But if you look at them in dollars, maybe it looks pretty good. But if you look at them denominated in Bitcoin, they actually look pretty bad. <laughs> you, you should have just you know bought Bitcoin five years ago and held the Bitcoin instead of investing in that company. And so I think that's something that more and more people are going to have to are going to inevitably wake up to that maybe that their unit of account is inferior to this new unit of account called Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? It's a paradigm shift to to concentrate uh, or to, to realize that the denominator is broken um, and to sort of flip the chart upside down, really. So, yes, it looks like those numbers are going up and to the right, but in actual fact, the purchasing power of what those numbers actually mean in real life is um, is significantly less each and every year or certainly each and every time that they print. Um, and just being able to be aware of that denominator, like Preston Pish helped me actually flip that around and, and realize that the denominator was broken. And so it didn't matter where I allocated my capital, um, any return was still going to be mm, at best break even with the inflation rate as opposed to um, ahead by any significant stretch of the imagination. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's crazy to think about, I guess, people using the wrong unit of account. But I guess in hindsight, you know, it, it, it makes sense how people could be like trapped in the system. And as time goes on and you get really embedded into the, like, the dollar culture <laughs> over like decades, you know, it, it makes sense how it'd be very difficult for someone that's always seen like the world that way. Maybe they work in traditional finance and they've always just never questioned that the money is broken. But once you like take a step back and like really look at this from a big picture perspective, which I, I just don't think many people do, it's, it's difficult if you're not doing that and looking from that perspective, it's difficult to, to see what Bitcoin is and why it's important. So this is uh, slightly related to, this, to the next question, but I mean, how, how are you able to take that big picture lens? I mean, is there something uh, that you've experienced in the past, something personal that has allowed you to take that sort of forest for the trees perspective and not get bogged down in the, in the minutiae of, of the dollar and, and just the all-seeing, the all you know, all-powerful USD. It's sort of like you, you're able to break beyond that because that is, that is a difficult thing for a lot of people, particularly in the, in the traditional finance space. Yeah, definitely. It's a really interesting question. Um, I think like one, I've always been relatively like freedom minded, even growing up as a kid. Like, I guess if you, if I uh, like assign myself to like a political ideology, it'd be someone that just, just pro freedom, generally mm -hmm. speaking. And so that kind of that combined with just not trusting like large organizations to begin with, whether that's government or corporations, I just kind of just intuitively, you know, had some form of mistrust there. 
And I think that enabled me to like question more things that maybe normal people wouldn't, wouldn't question. And like, I think money is a critical element of something that, you know, we all work every, almost every day or every weekday. And we all, you know, money is a very important part of our lives, but no one really considers to think about what money even is. Mm. Um, and I think because of like my background and kind of like my just political ideology that I was predisposed to, um, that made me like look into alternatives and, and made me originally question that the money is broken. And then also, I guess I, I had like, I've always been interested in computers, like building apps, building software, even before college and like that kind of tech technology background put with, you know, the freedom minded background just in hindsight makes it like really obvious as to like why I was, was a person that, you know, found Bitcoin and, and thought it was important to begin with. It's like the ultimate Venn diagram. You've got, you've got all the predispositions for, um, for understanding Bitcoin a lot quicker than most other people, I, I dare say. Exactly. That's and really I'd cool. say like, even in college and before college, I was always like kind of entrepreneurial minded and like, like, you know, I was interested in the idea of money. I was interested in the idea of like, oh, actually there, this is an interesting topic that maybe we could discuss or I can at least bring up. But like, I always believed in free markets. Like I talked about, I was very pro-freedom and I understood that free markets are the best way to allocate capital. And if, and you know, through free trade, it's kind of like everyone's winning, right? Because it's voluntary. No one's forcing anyone to trade with each other. Everyone's, if you're trading voluntarily with, with each other, then you're both, you both think you're winning. Right. And so I found it, I always found it interesting that like the one good in the world or the one tool in the world that we all use known as money was centrally controlled by like, a central bank or, or a government. And it was like, how in the world is it possible that like almost every other market that I'm aware of works better when there's just no central planner, you know, putting the price of money or determining the amount of units that are in circulation. But for some reason, money, we needed the central planner. It just never really made much sense to me, I guess, to begin with. That's such a great point. And again, it's not, it's not, an obvious point to sort of pick up on and to discern for most people. I mean, most people aren't really even aware of the concept of free markets. And if they hear the word free market, the term free market, laissez-faire, they generally scoff at it and think it's a bad thing and that it ultimately results in, you know, uh, exploitation, monopolization and, um, you know, the fat cats and the rich getting richer and so on and so forth. And it actually when you think about it and actually do some research and reading on it, it couldn't be further from the truth. So it's almost like, I mean, because again, me personally, I was aware of the concept of free markets and understood, I guess, the, 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 the basics of it, but was always sort of pushed towards, I guess, the way that I was brought up and the uh, culture that I am existed in, the water I swam in, right? Um, to think that they were ultimately a bad thing and that the government through subsidies and taxes and so on and so forth ought to step in and reallocate that capital um, more precisely, right? And that's just completely incorrect. And I've sort of done a complete 180 to the point where I'm 
effectively like privatize everything, like just go and privatize the whole lot. Uh, because when people get to trade, as you just pointed out, with each other, products and services, then clearly they're demonstrating, if it's voluntary, that, that one values the other good more than the other, and hence that's why they trade. And there's that quote, and I have no idea who said it, but when goods and services don't cross borders, soldiers will. And that's mm. kind of the, the long and short of it, right? So breaking out of that, or applying that concept to money, um, then once you have that firm grasp that free markets are ultimately a good and that they have that sense of emergent complexity at scale, then why not apply that same concept to money? Because it is the thing that's on the other side of the trade every time. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And to me, like when you think about money and you think about people are obviously like, the, the consumers of this product known as money, it's like, okay, if I'm holding money, obviously I want my money to be scarce. I don't want some entity being able to create more of it and devalue my personal savings. And then it's like, it's pretty obvious that, okay, as far as savings, money that's used for savings, Bitcoin is simply better because it's the one thing in the world where we know we can't create more of it's the least uncertain asset. Um, and I think that's fascinating and, and it's pretty obvious when you look at, I guess what's going on with the dollar system where bank depositors are being bailed out. The fed, you know, is one minute tightening and then the next minute they're lending billions of dollars into existence to make depositors whole. It's like, okay, well, if I had dollars in my bank account, there's now more dollars created, you know, that exist in the world and maybe my dollar isn't going to go as far. Exactly. And then you, you have this idea of that, that's a rule change when they do that, when they quantitatively tighten or they quantitatively ease, i.e. they print more money or they raise interest rates. Um, and if you are trying to operate in the world as a business person, and the rules constantly are, are shifting around you, you're ultimately going to get fed up and not want to play anymore. Or at least, you know, you're coerced to play, you're forced to play because you've got to put food on the table. But you start to do it re reluctantly, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's hard. I mean, looking back at like the last three years, it's been very, I would say it's been very difficult for almost any business to plan for the future, right? Because we had COVID 2020 where interest rates were at 0%. There was the money printer was going burr. Stimulus checks were being handed out in the US. And like, it looked like you needed to get long and, and buy all this like high growth tech stocks because everything, any investment kind of made sense when the cost of capital was almost nothing. And then, you know, a few years later, inflation spikes, and all of a sudden the Fed gets aggressive and raises the cost of capital in a crazy amount. And then all of a sudden, almost no projects from a finance perspective look like they're, you know, something that people should be pursuing. And it's just like when you go from turning the the investment game, like investment system on and then turning it off, it's just like extreme volatility. And I think like trying to centrally plan a global economic system is just a 
inevitably not going to work out. And I think we're seeing like the side effects of, of, you know, one, one second having the, the machine on and then the second second having the machine off. It's just insane volatility that they're supposed to be preventing, but I don't think they really are. Yeah, that's right. Like the, they're actually, their mandate is to prevent the volatility and to <laughs> smooth out the business cycles and make everything hum effectively. <laughs> but uh, they actually do. Again, Fiat Energy, Fiat World does the exact opposite. Um, of what it's intended to do yeah and also like i feel like they're they're probably pretty good people i mean i i think that they're they are genuinely trying to like make the economy work and make a banking system work but i just think at the end of the day it's it's a it's almost a nearly impossible task as if essentially they're playing god with the economy which there's so many different variables you know, millions, billions of people around the world, millions of entities, businesses, governments. It's just way too complicated for a small group of humans to attempt to plan that, you know, from the top down. Definitely. And complicated is the right word. A lot of people would ordinarily reach for a complexity, but it's complicated. It's a very, very complicated system, you know. And um, I, always, I always think that those two terms are, are, are actually a lot different. They have a lot of uh, difference in meaning. Complexity is more like, you know, like a galaxy or a universe or the solar system or, you know, a circulatory system, whereas complicated is just all of these things. I mean, the actual economy at scale, the global economy is actually quite complex and you could let it run and it would eventually sort itself out. Uh, but if you tweak too many places and have just a, a group of people, what is it, 12 people at the Fed or something making these decisions, ultimately maybe one person, um, that's going to cause a fair amount of um, distortion. Yeah, absolutely. Why do you think that you were open and able to discovering Bitcoin? Um, I, I really think it just goes back to the, the, the political bias that I had, the yeah. technology background that I had and, uh, uh, number go up. I mean, number go up <laughs> track, you know, is, you know, happens during the bull market. It grabs attention certainly, and it forces people to like actually dive into seeing like what this is like. Maybe something it gets on the news, it gets on Twitter, it gets on podcast, and it gets people's attention. And I think Bitcoin, you know, that's bull markets are kind of reflexive in that they drive more adoption. Um, yeah, yeah. The number number go up tech is is a significant um, attractor, right, to to people's money. And uh, I guess in the 2017 run up when you when you were first uh, made aware and actually executed you know some some trades did you did you ride it all the way up and then lost a whole heap i mean what was that experience like yeah definitely so yeah i, I remember like riding the pretty much a lot of like at the time i was like crypto too riding a lot of stuff up and it was pretty crazy i remember like Wake, I guess like Bitcoin people probably still do this somewhat and even sometimes I do it but like waking up in the middle of the night and like looking at the price <laughs> I remember <laughs> like doing that back in 2017 like in December when everything literally just kept going straight up and I was like what 
this is insane. And like just waking up in the middle of the night and seeing everything like five, 10% higher. And I was like, wow, this is, this is insane. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it went up a ton and then obviously it crashed, which in hindsight makes a lot of sense because things can't just go up in a straight line. Um, and then I, as like, as it crashed Bitcoin and alts, that's what really encouraged me to like dive deeper into figuring out, okay, like Bitcoin's like crashing for sure, but these alts are like really crashing. Like these things are going like down 90%, 95%, 99%. And then that kind of encouraged me seeing those just massive drawdowns. It, it just made me think, okay, like these things were clearly just kind of like some sort of like pump and dump type thing, or they were just, you know, highly speculative and and people were buying them at absurd prices for pretty much no reason whatsoever. And they had no staying power, unlike Bitcoin, whereas Bitcoin, yeah, it crashed a lot, but, but it was still, you know, significantly higher than its previous cycle high and significantly higher than the, the previous bear cycle low. And so I, I, I noticed that I was like, okay, the trend for Bitcoin over, you know, the last 10 years or at the time, the last I don't know, seven years, was still clearly up and to the right, even though the price had gone down. And when you looked at it on the log chart, it made a lot more sense and the trend was very clear. But when you looked at it on a linear chart, um, it just looked like a you know massive bubble and, and, and collapse. And so, yeah, I think I spent most of the bear market just diving deeper into why Bitcoin specifically was important uh, in comparison to, to altcoins. That's really cool because, again, you, the average person, I suppose, would... Uh, be scared off at such a massive dump and would be fearful that they've lost all of this money but you um you were compelled uh, i guess through some curiosity and maybe intellectual honesty to find out more about this investment this this asset that you'd thrown some of your money and your dollars at yeah exactly and i would i would add on that like I mean, in 2017, when I first discovered it, I mean, I, I didn't put much money into Bitcoin or crypto at all by any means. Right. So it wasn't like when I when Bitcoin fell from 20,000 back all the way down to 3000 that I'd like lost my life savings or anything <laughs> like that. I still had, you know, a lot of the wealth that I've stacked, like just with college jobs and whatnot. And so that wasn't like catastrophic for me by any means and i also was like still in college so like i wasn't even fully supporting myself at the time um so i wasn't like concerned about you know making rent or having food on the table um so that helped as all also whether that volatility but yeah i mean i i, I think it would be tough if i had been working full-time and i was like 100 percent in bitcoin which i'm not by any today even still mm -hmm. um uh I, I think that I would have had a very difficult time going through the bear market and like being comfortable stacking more, more sats because, you know, when you're down 80% and you're, I guess you, if you have rent coming up, that's going to make you a little bit more hesitant to, to, you know, add on to your Bitcoin position if you have some sort of cash flow. So, yeah, I think, I think a key part of me surviving and honestly digging deeper was, was actually not being all into Bitcoin and being, having my toe in the water enough to where I was, you know, interested to really dive deeper and, and dip my toe or dip my whole, you know, my feet in a lot more. Um, but, uh, being not all in, I guess, helped me not just, you know, give up when, and sell at the bottom. Yeah. 
certainly helps. What what are some of the insights, uh, aspects, concepts embedded within Bitcoin that you find most fascinating? I think the one key thing that makes Bitcoin very unique that I find extremely fascinating is anyone in the world can very cheaply and easily run a Bitcoin node. And by running a Bitcoin node, you're able to set your own you know, rules. You can be like, okay, there's only going to be 21 million Bitcoin. You can like read it in the source code. And when you're running that node, you know that your node is enforcing that critical rule that we all, at many Bitcoiners, I guess, cherish to some extent. And so the fact that anyone can run their own node and the fact that it's very cheap to run your own node and there's no auto update on your node, meaning like there's no like developers that can come in and change something in the code and all of a sudden it just gets pushed to your system and you just automatically update without like thinking about it. It makes it very difficult to change Bitcoin. And I think that's a, like probably the most critical component of it to where if any, like Bitcoin is open source, right? So anyone can change the source code to Bitcoin. You can create a fork of it. You can change the code. You can add 22 million Bitcoin. You can change the block subsidy, subsidy to whatever you want. But when you run that node, you're obviously not going to be within consensus of what the world perceives as Bitcoin. You're going to end up create if you're if you end up mining it or you convince someone else to end up mining it, you're just going to create an, a fork of Bitcoin, which you can call it whatever you want, Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin Gold, Bitcoin SV, whatever. And so the critical element is that no single person or single entity or even large group of entity entities can change what most people think of as Bitcoin. And I think that's the true game changer behind what makes Bitcoin special is that, you know, it, it's very difficult to change. Even if 90% of miners were like, you know, we're going to start mining this alternative chain that gives us more Bitcoin. I mean, they're just going to be running Bitcoin 22 million. That's what it would be called or something along those lines. And as long as, you know, someone was mining the OG Bitcoin and someone was running an OG Bitcoin full node, then Bitcoin, the asset that the world knows would still exist. And, and in my opinion, the market would value that Bitcoin more than the 22 million Bitcoin. So you're saying that you can change the code, and I hope Greenpeace are listening to this, but you can change the code and do that if you wish, but the market may not decide to allocate the requisite capital to see it succeed. Exactly. Right. And that's the other thing. If, if, if the market did decide that $22 million was more valuable than $21 million, well, going back to our free market conversation... Um, then that, you know, fine, okay. But at that point, what are the other trade-offs that have that have kind of occurred within that shift, that hard fork to um, to disrupt? And I'd say by by this point, mm, it's not going to happen. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, Bitcoin has been you know open source since its inception, so. Anyway, you could go on GitHub right now and, and change the the line of code that that close that you know cuts the block subsidy in half every halving, and you could do that and you could start running it. Like anyone could have been able to do this for over ten years at this point, 
and you know someone probably has done it i guess in a way like dogecoin which i believe is a fork of bitcoin or somewhat of a fork or there's some sort of i'm sure proof of work coin that is like fork bitcoin but i know like dogecoin it has you know no supply cap so someone has created something like the fork of bitcoin that effectively is just changing the supply cap to to not 21 million but to infinite and so like anyone can do it it's just like the market is probably in my opinion, not going to value it nearly to the same extent as Bitcoin. And most likely the market's just not going to value it whatsoever yeah. because it changes like the whole core proposition of Bitcoin, which is the fact that there's only 21 million and it can't be. And that's very difficult to change. <laughs> <laughs> and there's such a, such a level of confidence that comes from that, you know, um, again, going back to the, to the bit about the free markets is that you can actually have the, the longer something uh, exists and is you know, lindy, I suppose, um, the more confidence you can have in that thing enduring and um, is, a, is an asset that you can soundly and securely and, and with a significant degree of confidence allocate some hard-earned money to to sort of store it there as a store of value and maybe later on use it as, as the other things, medium exchange and so on. Yeah, exactly. In a way it's now that like I hold Bitcoin in cold storage with private keys I control, it's pretty mind blowing that the rest of the world or majority of the world, you know, stores their wealth with basically like infinite counterparties and, and so much trust at least compared to Bitcoin. It's like, it would be kind of frightening holding a majority of your wealth in like real estate or equities, which is basically what everyone else does. And like not having any sort of asset where like you literally have no counterparty exposure whatsoever. And in fact, like it doesn't even physically exist. Like you, you can, it's just information. So like you could have it in your brain, you can have it on you know, a piece of paper, you can have it on, on steel, and it's just quite mind blowing that someone of you know significant net worth would feel truly comfortable holding 100% of their net worth in assets that require like you know a functioning legal system and and uh, a lot of trust and and just other counterparties to make sure that their assets are not seized you know stolen or, or have any sort of value or trusting the management of of companies to you know actually generate cash flow. There's just a lot of you know, long-term risk in traditional finance a assets, whereas Bitcoin may be risky in the short term as far as it's just exchange rate with, you know, fiat currencies. But in the long term, it seems like one of the, the least uncertain tools. And I think in the long term, it's one of the least, you know, risky assets you can hold. Such a great point. <laughs> it's such a great point, that one. I mean, the the banking crisis that that the, the, I guess is currently unfolding depends on when this goes to air but um, the fact that there was comments made by certain people that you know you should be allocating your cash into a numerous bank accounts to up to the you know value of what is it in in America two hundred and fifty thousand mm -hmm. dollars so you know if you've got a, a significant sized company with a chunk of change on the balance sheet, how many um, bank accounts do you need to open with how many different bank <laughs> banking institutions and how much administration and time and energy does that cost just to hold your cash to prevent it from being liquidated 
and um, and and becoming part of the insolvency, you know, um, debacle of whatever banking institution you you hold. I mean, that's just nuts to me. You could, and as you said, you could literally throw it on a blue wallet or a piece of paper or you know, ideally some steel multi sig sort of setup. But the point is, is it could be as simple or as complicated or as complex as you decide. Um, and you have no counterparty. You don't have to mm-hmm. worry about all of those other things. <laughs> it's exactly. It's pretty crazy. And, and even, you know, thinking about if you have a ton of cash as a company and you're trying to split it up in multiple bank accounts, even if you do go about that process, you're still like, you know, depending on those counterparties, you're still depending on the those banks and the government to like, you know, give you access to your money, right? Like if you walk into your mm-hmm. bank account and you have a certain amount of money in your bank account and you have and you you want the cash from it to do whatever you want with it, it's no guarantees that they're gonna be able to give it to you like, like in that second. <laughs> they may it may take some time. They may ask you a bunch of questions. They may they may not even let you do it. I don't know. They may say like, you know, you can't withdraw this much in this specific amount of time. And so it's like Bitcoin is the one thing where like you don't need permission, you know. Like with all of these fiat traditional finance assets, you need permission from somebody. And Bitcoin is just this one thing where you don't need permission anymore. And it's kind of freeing and it kind of gives you a, a sense of security that you may not have felt before before holding Bitcoin. Beautiful. Has discovering Bitcoin changed you? It's a good question. Um I would say I've like I've always Kind of like from the beginning, I've always been someone that likes to save. It's definitely changed my definition of saving, right? Like, I guess before I thought about saving as investing in like the S&P 500 or like those value stocks. And that made a lot of sense. But it also was kind of weird because I was like, I'm saving for the future, but I'm also like investing yet. Like, (laughs) I'm like a college student. I have like no idea like really how to value these companies at least compared to like you know an actual wall street analyst whose entire occupation is dedicated to figuring out like which company is potentially going to perform better than another company so i found it very strange as to like how everyone just you know split their entire wealth into you know infinite number of assets like your 401k holds you know maybe it's like a target date fund which holds other funds which hold companies which holds real estate which holds all this stuff like you basically like save by just holding everything which was like so broke seems so broken in hindsight but i guess what i'm what i'm saying is like it changed me in the sense that okay i realized that that's not actually saving that's investing and it's investing in a way that makes it pretty clear that the money is broke and like you're just investing in everything, <laughs> which is kind of <laughs> inter- strange. Um, it seems like kind of inefficient probably. Um, and so I guess it, it made me realize that, okay, if I actually want to save for the future, which is really what I'm trying to do, like I don't, I'm not trying to make a bet on a specific company. I'm just trying to save to where like when I'm old, I can like retire and not like have to worry about like if I'm too old to, to work and I, I don't have to worry about paying for, for expenses or paying mm-hmm. for like children and, and grandchildren. And so it made me realize that, okay, saving is not putting money in your 401k. Saving is holding just good money 
And I think Bitcoin enabled, you know, me to save for the future in a way that's different from how other people think about saving. So it's made it, it's made like the definition of saving, I guess, more clear. It's made me like more interested in saving. Like I, I don't even have cable, right? Like I don't even watch TV, even though like I could, I could pay for TV, mm-hmm. um, but I just don't <laughs> do it. I'd rather like listen to podcasts or read a book or go outside or something. Um, so I guess it's made me like cut out a lot of or unnecessary things like cable that I feel like normal people throughout the world or especially the U S have and, and watch like on a daily basis for like way too long. Um, that's, that's something that's, that's definitely changed within me or, or at least like reinforced. Um, other than that, I think, I don't know. I I think those are probably like the two key things that have that have probably changed uh since i discovered bitcoin it's like you've applied the concept of value investing to aspects of your life outside of finance right yeah yeah i guess you could say that that makes sense you know and and i guess that's the 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 beauty of of this this protocol is that it does encourage you to allocate your time and energy more wisely i suppose you 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 you're more hyper aware of the scarcity of the time that you're operating upon and mm-hmm. if you have a savings that's effectively running in the background and appreciating over a significant you know time period um certainly not in the in the short term um which trips a lot of people up uh, but if you're act- actually saving, you know, for sort of 5, 10, 15, 50 years, whatever, um, you have a confidence that that's happening now and now I can go and spend my time and energy elsewhere on other things that give me pleasure, value, etc. Mm-hmm. Another kind of related topic is thinking on like saving Bitcoin. Like I think one problem with the fiat system them is people save in something like real estate where by saving and and i guess you can use this word interchangeably like saving and hoarding are are you know can be thought of as the same thing but when you save in real estate or you hoard real estate you make property values more expensive right like when you save bitcoin you make bitcoin more expensive um and i think that's a bad system where investors are hoarding real estate making property values abnormally more expensive to where young people like myself, you know, it makes it harder for, for someone like us to like actually live in a decent home or a decent apartment because someone else is just hoarding it, you know, hoping that the price goes up like it has been and then increasing our rents when, uh, you know, people my age may not be able to afford an actual house. And so it's just, it's kind of like, bad for society when people hoard things that aren't really investments um, and, and shouldn't be hoarded like real estate. Whereas if people save Bitcoin or hoard Bitcoin, you don't like take real resources from the world by doing that per se. Like you're, the houses are still there and they're probably cheaper in Bitcoin terms from you saving Bitcoin because you're not the one buying the house and, and hoarding it. So I think a lot of things could get cheaper and a lot of and i think like real estate is a critical example of that to where affordable housing for the world would be 
huge and enable people to save more money and, and pursue, you know, other entrepreneurial uh, objectives or uh, goals that they have. And I think the world would be a better place if, if people just hoarded less real estate. Oh, absolutely. It's the bane of my existence that, I mean, the idea that housing is an investment is insane to me. I mean, I think it, I think it was Saferdine maybe uh, tweeted this out just recently, but like houses are consumptive goods. They're they're you've got a use for them. You live in them. They're effectively a part of they're a, like a foundation stone of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know you need mm-hmm. shelter, um, and all these untold issues and problems. Um, get caused by treating housing as an investment um, exactly. rather than a consumption good, you know, that people would actually just need. And th- there's so many other things that you could invest in that would be net-net mm-hmm. way better for society. And housing just isn't one of those things. I mean, I live in Australia mm-hmm. and we are like the kings of investing in real estate and like the entire economy is basically based on that housing and holes you know that's that's how we roll (laughs) over here um and it's like a sport you know watching house prices go up and understanding that the housing isn't an investment and that the only reason that uh, dollar value that you see going up and up and up and up is as we were saying before is because your unit of account's broken and your denominator is busted and you're actually getting less, you know. Yeah, your house is worth a million dollars in some shitty suburb of Sydney. But uh, when you go to the grocery store, you walk home with one bag of groceries that costs you a hundred bucks and you've got nothing to yeah. show for it. It's like crazy to me. Exactly. I was. I had lunch with a, with a guy today who talked about how he like originally found out about Bitcoin and very related topic. He was like, in 2020, he said he sold his house that he had at the time, and he like made you know a absurd like absurd amount of money to him up for selling the house. And he was like, what the heck? Like, how in the world was I? Did I just make this money buying this house like five years ago and and now selling it? Like, it, it made no sense to him. And I was like, and so it kind of set off alarm bells for him as to like maybe like this the money is broken. Like maybe something is up here. And I think I've, I've heard like Australia is pretty tough. The real estate market is pretty insane. So yeah, that's, it's a, it's a weird, weird world that we're living in for sure. No doubt. No doubt. To that end, what have you learned about the world? Uh, and you know, more importantly yourself since discovering Bitcoin. Um, one thing that I think I've learned about the world is no one like no one really knows what they're doing like every human is just kind of walking around earth like very like fairly confused right like no one no one knows everything by any means everyone's imperfect and everyone's just trying to trying to figure it out i also think like very large organizations like governments are like very complex and and slow to move, which I think is somewhat of a, a feature and, and, and somewhat of a bug, somewhat of a feature. Right. Um, and I think it's very, like the world is just more chaotic than I originally thought. Like, I guess growing up, like maybe you look up to like 
the president or, or some like CEO of large company, you're like, wow, like they have it all figured out. Like they're controlling everything and they're making everything work perfectly. Um, or at least work fairly well or something like, or something along those lines and keeping the world working as far as like, I, I can like, you know, t- talk into this microphone, type on my keyboard and all of a sudden like money arrives in my bank account, like for work. Right. Like that's pretty crazy how that works. And, and I guess there's not like a, you know, a, a supreme power on earth that's like making that happen. It's just kind of like natural chaos and free markets and, and free trade that just make things work. Like there's the world's pretty chaotic actually. Um, and I, I think that's one thing that I've kind of learned, um, just learning about Bitcoin because it, you know, a lot of people in the world don't understand Bitcoin and it's like, how do people not at first thought when I discovered Bitcoin, I was like, uh, how would I, I figured this out before everybody else. And then also I was like, how did, how have all these people not figured it out yet? Once I like figured out that I could probably, I could potentially be right with Bitcoin. Um, so yeah, I think like the world is a lot more chaotic and, and random and people are, are more imperfect than I thought at even the highest society levels than I originally believed. Yeah, totally. I mean, you're a kid and, um, you look up to adults and you you presume that they've got it figured out. You know, they're adults. That's that's they've got it squared away, right? They go to the 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 wall, uh, the hole in the wall, and out comes some money if they want to pull out some cash, whatever. Or they tap their card, and it just seems to work. You know, everything they've they've got it square. They've got it made, and uh, you you start to um, very quickly be made aware that oh god, like no one has a goddamn clue what they're doing, and we're all just trying to to crack on as best we can. Um, and I think, you know, that's where screwing around with something as important as money is such an evil thing. Even if you're not doing it consciously, like if you're doing it with the best intentions, you know, as you, you mentioned before, I, I don't think the people at the Fed are inherently evil people. I certainly believe that they're um, counterproductive. Um, yeah. But uh, certainly on a personal level, I don't think any of them are actual assholes. Uh, maybe, mm-hmm. I don't know. But my yeah, point is, is that like everyone's got so much other things, so many other uh, things going on. You know, we've all got our bag mm-hmm. of rocks that we cart around and we're all trying to unload a couple of those rocks each and every day. And the idea is to not add any more rocks to anyone else's bags. Unfortunately, sometimes that's, you know, hard to do, particularly if you're in a working environment and you collaborating with people but if you come in over the top and add a whole bunch of boulders into your bag in the form of shitty money then that's a whole other thing you have to now deal with and think about Mm -hmm. and contend with and it's like maybe we could just square the money away and then just let the rest of it flourish as best as it can Mm -hmm. yeah like there's the quote like the money is like money is like the root of all evil. And it's like, I don't necessarily agree with that, you know, word for word, but it is like the creation of money is potentially the root of all evil, right? If someone's able to create money and at the expense of everyone else that's holding the money and they're able to create the money for free uh, or a very cheap price, like that's pretty evil. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's money is like such a complex thing. And, and now that we have Bitcoin, we kind of took money out of the hands of, of humans because this is just kind of a system that we're all aligned to play, to play the Bitcoin game because no, none of us can change it. And that's why it works. That's why the game's 
makes sense to play for everybody. And now that we've taken money out of the hands of humans, I think that's, you know, beneficial to society and, and, and eliminates potential evil. Oh, most definitely. So what have you learned about yourself then since discovering Bitcoin? Um, I would say just, again, like saving Bitcoin is, is critical. Um, trying to think of other specific points. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. Saving Bitcoin, saving for the future is important. Um, again, people don't know, most people don't know what they're doing, which is fine, but that's just the reality of the world. Um, and about myself, I mean, uh, <laughs> it's a good question. It tends to stump <laughs> a few people, that's for sure. Cause it's, it's a fairly self-reflective question. It's not something that we often think about, you mm-hmm. know, um, like f- for me, for instance, it has, sort of focused and clarified a lot of the things that I already aligned with in the past mm-hmm. and almost validated them to an extent. Um, but also, um, contrary-wise, it actually um, completely uh, annihilated some of the um, things that I had thought were correct and right and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's... it's, it's um, I can't remember who says it. I think uh, Australian Bitcoin at Easy, he, he reckons Bitcoin is a mirror. So it kind of reflects mm. your good and bad points back, to, back at you. And uh, ideally, if you're self-aware, you're going to refine and work on those um, good things and try and mitigate, reduce the bad things about yourself. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, yeah, that's a good point. I guess like there's some... Being in Bitcoin, it, it kind of makes it makes it more clear as to like what like certain scams are. Like I feel like so much of crypto is just like blatantly a scam, whether people know it or not. And it makes it to me it make makes it more obvious that like what we're what Bitcoin is ethical, right? Whereas a lot of other things aren't ethical and like doing anything slightly unethical like is just kind of hurts and is like evil. And it's just knowing that like the altcoin and crypto community is is like kind of evil in a way <laughs> and 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 bitcoin is just like this more more pure thing where everyone just kind of wins if you're playing the bitcoin game um so yeah i think like just it maybe it made it more clear of like good and evil in the world potentially i don't know that might be a stretch <laughs> no i don't think that's a stretch i think i think it, it it i mean obviously it's not as black and white as something like good and evil i'm not too absolutist on that personally i'm not um but i think those that are conscious of the fact that their crypto token altcoin shitcoin whatever is like effectively um you know an an affinity scam it's pure exit you know it's just what do they call it Uh, it's like a rug pull you know you're you're actually pumping your bags and then um, using other people that are uh, less mm-hmm. aware as exit liquidity, that's that's patently a shitty thing to do, and that's evil, you know. Um, and if you are aware of that and are doing that consciously, like some of those, uh, what was it, um, Mashinsky, uh, mm-hmm. and a few of those other actors in the in the crypto space, which give the wider 
crypto economy, if you want to call it that, um, mm. a bad name. And that's the sort of social attack vector of, of trying to educate people beyond the noise of those scams. And that's effectively, I think, pretty evil. You know, if you're perpetuating noise rather than signal, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, depending on like how loose you use those terms, for sure. Yeah. Last question. How do you explain Bitcoin? I would explain Bitcoin is the least uncertain asset. And I think the when people hear that, they're going to be like, "What? how is that possible? It's so volatile. And I think you look at Bitcoin as the least uncertain asset because anyone can easily run a full node which sets your rules within consensus and that enables you to to you know use bitcoin be within the network and to know to, to basically not have to trust others so i think bitcoin is a monetary tool that eliminates having to trust others and is effectively the world's best savings technology that's pretty damn cool when you talk to colleagues that are potentially more traditional finance minded does that explanation work um it's a great question i i honestly like don't try to talk about bitcoin that much like with non-bitcoin friends Hmm. in person (laughs) i don't know i i guess like everyone wants to buy it when the when the price is soaring and then when the price is down everyone's like what are you doing like you're insane (laughs) um but which is fair. So I just like, don't talk about it in either the bull markets or the bear markets in person. But I would say that a lot of my traditional finance friends own small amounts of Bitcoin since I've, I have in the past talked about it plenty um, when they were actually interested in learning about it. Uh, and some of them, you know, have like, cause I, I think I've, been in the space long enough to where like I understand all of the counter arguments so like I at least know Bitcoin well enough to where I can argue it in a way that it makes sense to almost anybody that hasn't you know dug it super deep into it and a lot of them say like my perspective makes 100% sense but like it just seems crazy it's you know outside the traditional system and I also think a lot of people like in traditional finance whether it's like Wall Street or you go to some of the top business schools in the US like you you're the type of person that doesn't get Bitcoin in the sense that you're like a very, you're like a rule follower. You see like a career path that someone has outlined for you. You see like a ladder and you're just kind of taking steps on the ladder. And like Bitcoin is just this this like random side found and discovered. And like they have just like little interest in in doing that. Like they'd rather just follow the ladder and and do the steps. Um, and I think like that's the type of people that end up in like the traditional finance world. And it makes them predisposed to just not be interested in Bitcoin from the get go. Yeah, right. It's almost like they get tripped up on the permissionless aspect of it, whereas traditional finance is, you know, as you just said, you've you've got permission to climb that ladder. Whereas you could just yeah. jump off the ladder completely, go and start on a new ladder, if you like, yeah. permissionlessly. That's a good point. And, and start climbing independent of whatever anyone thinks. Yeah, true. It's almost like they're looking for permission. They're looking for that ladder to climb and to go. Whereas Bitcoin, 
is more of like the chaos of the world where it's like actually there's this technology that got created and and in the chaos of the world it's actually better but there's not like a clear permissioned path that you should go on to be quote unquote what you think is successful in life and in, in a career and that ladder is pretty old and mm-hmm. it's worn away and probably there's a few missing rungs and uh and it's pretty it's pretty full of it's 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 fairly crowded, I'd say, the ladder that uh, is the permissioned one, I'd say, and, and that's probably why it's not working as as it as it's intended anymore. Um, yeah, absolutely. I guess it, it'll get. Uh, I don't know what the ladder equivalent of a rug pull is, but <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, Joe, this was a fantastic conversation. I, I generally. I don't think I actually have had many um, uh, specifically sort of financially related conversations on this pod so far, um, which is really weird because I kind of find all of that stuff really interesting. I don't come from that background, but I, since discovering Bitcoin, have found it super fascinating. Um, and it was just like a really good experience for me to 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 pick your brain about how you're thinking about all these things and your own experience in discovering Bitcoin, particularly in the, from coming from the realm of, of finance specifically rather than say philosophy or coding, developing Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. So um, thank you, man, for uh, sharing your scarce time, finite energy on discovering Bitcoin. It's, uh, it's been a real pleasure to have you as a guest, man. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed this. I know we talked before how I was listening to one of the podcasts before this. I, I, I'm excited to, as you get more guests, and I probably should go back and listen to some of your old episodes. Like, it's an interesting uh, topic that you actually like people, like, I feel like a lot of Bitcoin, like, quote unquote, influencers, you know, have said their background on some podcasts, but like, I feel like you actually go deep into their background and like how they discovered Bitcoin. And I think it would be, you know, really interesting to see some of what other people have to say in the space. So I'm going to have to really dive into this podcast. No, thanks, man. That is the intent of the pod. You know, that first 30 seconds of most other Bitcoin pods or any pod for that matter, I find (laughs) the most interesting and it's over within 30 seconds. So I kind of thought if I could stretch that out into a fully fledged um, podcast, that might make for interesting listening. Yeah, it's a great idea. All right, man. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. Just-